Welcome back to Night School, episode three, or lecture three, or dialogue three, whatever it is we're calling this, and we're back. No, with no, this is lecture. four. Isn't it fourth? Is it four? Oh, I'm I sorry. Yeah, we no, like, uh, Raven, I think. We've yeah. been we've been so productive this week that I can't even remember which episode we're on. You're right. We had a trilogy on the Raven, and now this is episode four. Yeah. So welcome back to Night School, episode four, uh, and hope. Hopefully that's a uh, Felix Culpa right there, and it uh, inspires me like one who practices poorly but plays well to get up to the right level to do this. So today we're talking about Song of Myself, the 1892 version, which can be found on PoetryFoundation.org. In fact, I will share my screen right now so that you can see it if you're on YouTube. If not, I recommend that you look along. Uh, you can find this at Song of Myself, 1892 version, um, and type in Poetry Foundation after that in a, in a search engine, probably Google, and you can follow along with us. And uh, we were thinking about going a part at a time. And, um, well, Wes, even before we did start, we were talking about the structural elements of poetry last time. And something I noticed trying to sort of lesson plan how many of these lectures to have was um, that there are 52 parts. Yeah, which, which makes me connect this to the 52 weeks in the in the year, and that this is a song of one's entire self or one one self temporally spaced across time, an entire year. That's like one's in, entire existence. It seems like a kind of version of a devotional poem in a way, then too, right? It's like the sort of thing where you you read a bit of. Uh, a religious text or some kind of uh, thoughts about that text uh, every day or yeah once a week right you know on on your holy day you do that throughout the year and and mark the time that way too um, of course his his religion seems to be as he says you know himself um, yeah and it's it's interesting to what extent if he is making a comment on how how one's existence can be sectioned into parts, either temporal or spatial, in the case of poetry. Um, to what extent it is the atomized moments in time that are you, or the generalized structure that those moments take over time. And I wonder to what extent that's the question of poetry too. It's not about the specific words being used, but the structure that it attains towards in the end, or that it does attain is poetry. That poetry is supposed to represent sort of like a well-structured, well-lived life in that way. Yeah, well, as you, the word Adam does appear right there in the first, uh, the third line rather, and and the the line lengths vary, right? And the, the rhythm varies. There isn't an obvious rhyme scheme or anything like that. So yeah, clearly there's a totally different kind of structural principle here and maybe it's it is a little more kind of uh, psychological, um, a little more uh, open to interpretation, uh, even in terms of its form, than something like the Raven, which has such a rigid uh, and and bouncing sort of scheme to it. Right, uh, right, indicating maybe a situation in time, whereas this is supposed to be a representation of like a living person, something far more complicated uh -huh. and fluid. And it, yeah. Well, would you like to read the first part, Wes? Okay, okay. Yeah, let's get let's dig into this because it's it's 
it's a doozy. All right, so <laughs> Song of Myself, 1892 version by Walt Whitman. One, I celebrate myself and sing myself, and what I assume you shall assume, for every atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. I loaf and invite my soul. I lean and loaf at my ease, observing a spear of summer grass. My tongue, every atom of my blood, formed from this soil, this air, born here of parents, born here from parents the same, and their parents the same. I, now 37 years old in perfect health, began hoping to eat, cease not till death. Creeds and schools in abeyance, retiring back a while, sufficed at what they are, but never forgotten. I harbor for good or bad, I permit to speak at every hazard, nature without check, with original energy. All right, well, the first thing I notice is, like you were saying with the structure, there are four stanzas in this first part, which is going to be different even from the very second stanza. Um, the, the lines themselves differ in length and uh, don't appear to have a rhyme scheme. And, and, they, and each stanza even differs in how many lines it has in it. And mm -hmm. <clears throat> so just two things or three things about it immediately. I celebrate myself and sing myself. That's, that's immediately alerting you to an epic convention in this poem and to the poet's intention towards an epic um, sort of scope. Um, because the very first line of, of Virgil's Aeneid is, I sing of arms and of a man. Cano, arma, wurumque, you know. Um, Troia primos, or uh, I might have forgotten the uh, at prima or something like that and yeah and homer in the iliad it is uh sing you know sing to me muse the wrath of achilleus or peleus's son achilleus right and so the idea of a song or of singing something of epic scope of heroic scope he, he seems to be aligning himself with that tradition as well as aligning himself with a sort of naturalist rather than deist tradition. Yeah, as you mentioned in the third line, and then again in the sixth line, he mentions atoms. And he's mentioning natural things like summer grass, blood, parents, soil, air, um, even perfect health and his age, and then mentioning death. Uh, but also in that last line, nature without check with original energy that's very much where like sort of well part of the singing aspect of an epic is an invocation to the muse yes and so what this seems to be missing is precisely that uh there is no invocation to something divine or but there is nature sort of reified mm -hmm. um Nature is sort of taking the place of the Virgin Mary, you might say, that as the great mother from whom all things come. It's as if you can see the transition of symbolic language from the language of Christianity to the language of science in this first part. Yeah, I, I think that nature and, and nature is not something that's separate from the poet, though, right? Because if there is a muse, it's himself, right? He celebrates himself and sings himself. So he takes Virgil uh, a step further. He takes Dante a step further, right? He doesn't have a muse that's external to himself. The muse is imminent in him, right? And he is 
you know, flowing through it, uh, exchanging atoms with it and with the reader as well. Um, he addresses the reader directly, which I always kind of find real interesting when the speaker, uh, when the speaker shifts into the second person um, a voice. And, and, and so he, uh, he distinguishes, you know, I and uh, the reader, you, uh, he distinguishes his soul, right? His yes. tongue, all, all these sort of, they're sort of all um, equivalent though, right? It's very, it's very democratic. Um, parents and parents, the same, right? The same. There's this kind of um, hearkening back to a kind of epic tradition, but very different in its approach, right? He says, it's the creeds and schools in abeyance, right? He's got them in there. He knows about the stuff that you're talking about, um, all, the, all the old poets, but he, he keeps them sort of back. Uh, he, he'd rather have nature and, and original energy be the, the foreground here. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really stirring opening and um, has a cool tension between that, that tradition and that, that originality. You know, and I, I love that because what's interesting is that when you look at the tradition, the medieval tradition, and sort of the great books tradition, one of the criticisms is, is often that contemporary poetry, hmm, that contemporary poetry in some way is responsible for answering the tradition that's been set before it. But that um, it's, it's not actually the case that that's what any of those epic poets say. Dante, for instance, says that God is the father of nature, which is the father of art, indicating the great teacher of the artist is nature. Completely agreeing with Walt Whitman several centuries before him, you know, five centuries before him. And so it is interesting that um, the tradition, I feel like, sometimes gets some flack for requirements that it does not, that the participants within it do not actually require, or yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, perhaps that's actually part of being, you know, a part of a tradition that you don't. Hmm. But there does seem to be a linking that's necessary as well, and perhaps that's part of the atom belonging to me as good belongs to you. Mm -hmm. um, well. Anything else in that first one? Uh, how do you think the word loaf is being used there? Is that? <laughs> I like it. I mean, there's some definite um, uh, alliteration with it, right? I loaf and invite my soul. I lean and loaf. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of affectation of naturalness in a way, right? It's like, look how calm and, and cool I am loafing here, spitting this beautiful poetry, you know, so easily, so offhandedly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Okay. Well, on to two. Houses and rooms are full of perfumes. The shelves are crowded with perfumes. I breathe the fragrance myself and know it and like it. The distillation would intoxicate me also, but I shall not let it. The atmosphere is not a perfume. It has no taste of the distillation. It is odorless. It is for my mouth forever. I am in love with it. I will go to the bank by the wood and become undisguised and naked. I'm mad for it to be in contact with me. The smoke of my own breath echoes, ripples, buzzed, whispers, love roots, sick, silk thread, crotch and vine. My respiration and inspiration, the beating of my heart, the passing of blood and air through the lungs, the sniff of green leaves and dry leaves and of the shore and the dark colored sea rocks and of hay in the barn. 
The sound of the belched words of my voice loose to the eddies of the wind. A few light kisses, a few embraces, a reaching around of arms. The play of shine and shade on the trees as the subtle boughs wag. The delight alone or in the rush of the streets or along the fields and hillsides. The feeling of health, the full noon trip, the song of me rising from my bed and meeting the sun. Have you reckoned a thousand acres much? Have you reckoned the earth much? Have you practiced so long to learn to read? Have you felt so proud to get at the meaning of poems? Sup this day and night with me, and you shall possess the origin of all poems. You shall possess the good of the earth and sun. There are millions of suns left. You shall no longer take things at second or third hand, nor look through the eyes of the dead, nor feed on the specters in books. You shall not look through my eyes either, nor take things from me. You shall listen to all sides and filter them from yourself. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, um, again, so we get, you know, just as each line is different and each stanza is different, now from part one to part two, there's no apparent pattern just yet, at least. Uh, um, he's got a total shift in the setting, right? He, he places us, first of all, in houses and rooms, and there's a first hint, I guess, of a kind of rhyme, their internal rhyme, yeah. perfumes, repetition of that word, perfumes. And, and I take this to be a kind of uh, flirting with, with uh, more elegant and more artificial poetry. Yes. Right? We're, we're in an interior and we're perfumed. But then we move pretty quickly, you know, all, all, all over the place from there. We don't. Like in the Raven, we stay in one place, and that's key to the poem. And in this poem, we move all around, and that's key, I guess, to this poem. How, how from one line to the next, we jump from smelling perfumes to a kind of uh, openness of the atmosphere, of the outdoors, of the wood. Uh, we hear about, again, the, the internal nature of, of the body, and then of the... Uh, the interplay of, of more than one body, it sounds like, right? Exchanging uh, kisses and embraces. Um, the fields and the hillsides and the streets, right? So it's not, like, it's not like the romantics in England who are all about sort of getting out into the countryside. It's, it's that, but it's also the allure of, of, of people all around you, right? In the streets, it's urban and, uh, and rural. And, and then he, again, addresses the reader directly with these questions. Right, he's kind of got these rhetorical, um, almost like challenges, right, to the reader. And have you felt so proud to get at the meaning of poems? And then he makes this uh, boast, right? Stay with me, and I'll teach you, right? I'll I'll show you something, and it's not coming right through me exactly, but through yourself. And and that's quite a quite an interesting sort of boast um, to at once challenge, invite. And, and in a way, like, make this kind of Zen aha moment happen for, for the interlocutor, the, uh, the reader. Yeah, it seems like the point is to teach the reader how to express himself yeah. rather than some other self. And that if he follows this master, like Dante followed Virgil to the top of the Purgatorio, his will will be freed by acquisition of the art of articulating himself. And thus, in sort of a Heideggerian way, the house of his being, will be fitted precisely to his being. 
and thus he'll have um, he'll he'll equilibrate, as the Piagetians would say. And so, well, that's pretty interesting. Well, there were just a couple things about that. I thought that was very good. I was wondering if you thought the intoxication that he was afraid of perfumes causing him in the first stanza was the intoxication that he seems to take on in it in his uh, experience of nature in the third stanza. The smoke of my own breath. It reads so fast. Lots of commas, very few periods. Echoes, mm -hmm. ripples, buzzed whispers, love root, silk thread, crotch and vine. My respiration and inspiration. There you go. His breath, the beating of his heart, the passing of his blood through, uh, you know, through his lungs. The sniff of green leaves. It's, it's all too much, right? Too much, right? It, it is as if he is intoxicated, mm. um, but I by nature rather than the artifice right. of, of of man. It's as if. This is how you're supposed to express yourself. This is honest language. This is the expression of your nature, the intoxicating Dionysian outpouring, mm -hmm. rather than the sort of artificial Apollinean um, uh, structuring of it in a rigid way. Yeah, well, you know, like, again, to go back to the raven, there's that line about quaffing the nepenthe, right? Right. And that's a kind of a rejection of pain and... And uh, it's a medicine in a sense, right? And and the intoxication here is not at all like that. Well, sorry, the the intoxication in line three of, of part two here maybe is something like that, right? Like this artificial thing that would intoxicate me. I won't let it. Instead, right, there's this other thing that I am in love with. And I'm going to tell you what that thing is. And and you'll be in love with it too, you know? So it's a, it's a kind of... Uh, natural high or something like that right yeah and I, I like that as you said it doesn't have that romantic return to nature aspect it has a all-encompassing aspects of nature both inside and out because the feeling of health delight alone or in the rush of the streets like you said the, the song of me rising from my bed that's him that's not just caterpillars and monkeys <laughs> and trees, you know, and streams, idyllically. He's also very much a part of nature. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, so he's singing about himself and the nature within himself because as part of nature, he deserves to be represented and to be represented honestly. And perhaps that's what he's saying for all of us. That's what we should all be doing. Yeah. Yeah, he clearly thinks of himself as a kind of uh, model and, and mirror for, for people to, to learn from. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go on. Let's yeah. let's keep going. Let's keep rolling because you know one of the major aspects of this poem is it's kind of that listing, that outflowing, uh, sort of carrying you along sort of thing. It it does it in a very different way from the Raven, though. You know, which which has its way of doing that too. All right. So, part three. I have heard what the talkers were talking, the talk of the beginning and the end, but I do not talk of the beginning or the end. There was never any more inception than there is now, nor any more youth or age than there is now, and will never be any more perfection than there is now, nor any more heaven or hell than there is now. Urge and urge and urge, always the procreant urge of the world. Out of the dimness, opposite equals advance, always substance and increase, always sex, always a knit of identity, always distinction, always a breed of life. To elaborate is no avail. Learned and unlearned feel that it is so. Sure as the most certain sure, plumb in the uprights, well in traded, braced in the beams, 
stout as a horse, affectionate, haughty, electrical, I and this mystery here we stand. Clear and sweet is my soul, and clear and sweet is all that is not my soul. Lack one lacks both, and the unseen is proved by the seen, till that becomes unseen and receives proof in its turn. Showing the best and dividing it from the worst, age vexes age. Knowing the perfect fitness and equanimity of things, while they discuss I am silent, and go bathe and admire myself. Welcome is every organ and attribute of me, and of any man hardy and clean. Not an inch nor particle of an inch is vile, and none shall be less familiar than the rest. I am satisfied. I see, dance, laugh, sing. As the hugging and loving bedfellow sleeps at my side through the night and withdraws at the peep of the day with stealthy tread, leaving me baskets covered with white towels swelling the house with their plenty. Shall I postpone my acceptation and realization and scream at my eyes that they turn from gazing after and down the road and forthwith cipher and show me to assent exactly the value of one and exactly the value of two and which is ahead? Wow. So three. That's quite a bit. It's as if he's finally starting what he says he's setting out to do in the second stanza that he, he makes the claim that he's going to be able to teach us the song of essentially ourselves. And so he sets out with a poem that sort of tells us a short story from the perspective of what seems like an enthusiastic, enthusiastic young man who, mm. who has to move out into the world and is, is questioning exactly, you know, what the future holds for him. So if we just look at it closely, I've heard what the talkers were talking. So it's like he's past education time now. The talk of the beginning and the end. So he's heard what other people have to say. But I'm not, I do not talk of the beginning or the end. Okay, and so this, is, this does seem to be Whitman. And so he, he's saying that he's going to talk about the now. And he repeats that four times at the end mm -hmm. of the second stanza. And I, that is logically what I would have deduced from the first two lines where he would have gone with it. But he's going to talk about being rather than the beginning of being or the end of being, that which is speculative. He's like a phenomenologist in this case. And yeah. even kind of shows his recognition of the coming of affective neuroscience with urge and urge and urge, like motivational states within the world. Uh, that which used to be gods, right? Aries, aggression, Aphrodite, lust, primary motivations. Um, now we know they're within, not outside us, but they, they're just as powerful. And so always the procreant urge of the world, even Hera can seduce the great powerful Zeus when she needs to in the Iliad. Out of the didn'tness, opposite equals advance. Always substance and increase, always sex. Yes, so these seem to be the principles of nature, right? That are coming to replace the old gods. Instead of anthropomorphized or, or uh, theriomorphized gods, we now have like sort of scientific and economic principles which govern our reality. Um, and out of the dimness, right? That's like the Middle Ages. That's the old times when we didn't know what was happening. Opposite equals advance. And so we're coming at this from different angles, perhaps poetry and science at the same time, always mm -hmm. substance and increase. That's one of those principles of nature or economics. Uh, substance, that means something real leads to increase. Like you actually have to have a product. Always sex, well, that's always true because we know we're talking about nature here and things are procreative and things are productive. And so perhaps that's what he's saying here. Substance and increase means equals production or valuable production. Always a net of identity, always distinction, always a breed of life. Okay. 
and to elaborate is no avail learned in lear unlearned field that it is so so he's he said all he needs to say uh, about this it's just it just is as it is sure as the most certain sure common uprights well entreated braced in the beams stout as a horse affectionate haughty electrical i am this mystery here we stand. What do you what do you do with that, Wes? And um, maybe I could let you just start jumping in here because I feel like I'm I'm going line by line here, and I don't want to go too slowly. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, slowly. yeah. I think the images here are of uh, like builders, right? This kind of uh, architectural thing, hmm. um, but also animal, right? Stout as a horse, um, and so. He invites you to consider that that is a picture of him and this mystery. This mystery, I guess, as you're saying, is is what it is to be alive or something like that, right? To be in the world. Um, the now. Yeah. And, you and don't need feel, to explain it. You need to experience it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think I would go back, though, to the, the beginning and the end. I think that and then heaven and hell, that's, that's pretty clearly like him taking on religion. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying that that is not his approach here. He's got a much more holistic kind of um, felt experience that he's, he's concerned with. Um, the, the sex is clearly a really important thing for him, right? And that's, I think, part of why um, the, the religious, right, the restrictions of religion are not for him. Uh, that's kind of where the short story goes to, right? Is him and his bedfellow. Um, and he's, in terms of celebrating himself, you know, that definitely is going to include the body and the body is going to include, right, every organ, okay? So we know exactly what he means. Uh, then the long last question here, um, I, I'm, that's the part that I'm most confused by, I think, right now. Um, is, is I guess he's he's sort of using it again as a rhetorical question, and I take it to be his characterization of the religious authorities, right? Those who would have him, um, you know, pluck out your eye if it offends you, sort of thing, right? You want me to scream at my eyes for gazing after this this person who I slept with and and care about exactly like how much. Um, yeah, how much this is worth or something like that when when what matters seems to be the feeling, the experience itself. Uh, so again, I guess it's like a throwing down the gauntlet kind of thing. Um, and I think you're right that it's a it's a poetic, scientific um, approach, which is is it pains to demarcate itself from the old religious approach. And so I was understanding that sort of from a poetic epic perspective, sort of a desire to to forge out new land for himself while also being in line with the tradition, sort of like what Milton does when he you know he 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 joins his poetry to the age after Galileo during the scientific revolution when humans lost their place in the universe in the same way that Dante uh, harks back to Rome and Virgil by talking about the fractured state of Florence and what Rome has become. Um, uh, I saw him doing that, Do you, but I also wonder, are you, is a potential aspect of this poem sort of an autobiographical aspect that would make him motivated 
to want to interpret in a more naturalistic or, or valueless way than uh, in a religious ethical way? Is he going against one of the values of his time and trying to post hoc justify it? Hmm. That's a possibility. I mean, he doesn't seem to feel any guilt, but again, this is the speaker and the speaker is a, as a creation of Whitman's over a long, long period. Like this is the 92 version. He had first released this poem in 55. Oh, wow. So he worked on it for f at least 40 years. Okay. Right? This so, is the song of itself. Yes. It, it grew with him over that long period. Um, yeah. It, to what extent he's, you know, working out some, some actual uh, guilt or, or uh, something like that uh, is a good question. But, you know, it's interesting that he doesn't mention guilt. And guilt would seem to be the natural aspect of, like, say, an angel coming to tell you you did something wrong or something like that. It's not external. It's an internal feeling that you get from an action you committed. And mm -hmm. so that, that would strike me as if he felt guilt and was attempting to justify what he had done by naturalistic language versus or as opposed to religious language, I would be far more inclined to my initial interpretation. But since he doesn't, he says, I see, I dance, I laugh, I sing. So he seems to be good, you know? Yeah. Um, and he seems to say that that's the measure of good being, being good. I mean, yeah. I mean, is that, is that, I, I always forget whether it's Pythagoras or Parmenides who says that man is the measure of all things. I think it's Pythagoras, I think, I'm not sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but yeah, and he seems to be agreeing with that. And again, this sort of existential or phenomenologist way that if he feels good, he must be good. Yeah. And well, you know, I guess you just have to know what feeling good really means. <laughs> that is, oh, protag Protagoras. There we go. Protagoras, there we go. Mixture of the two names. Can't be getting that wrong. All right, right. all right. That's right. One more? Yeah, I think we, we're just at 30 now. So one, one more. Yeah, this one's a short one. And I, oh yeah, I guess I'm up. Trippers and askers surround me. People I meet, the effect upon me of my early life or the ward and city I live in or the nation. The latest dates, discoveries, inventions, societies, authors old and new. My dinner dress, associates looks, compliments, stews, the real or fancied indifference of some man or woman I love, the sickness of one of my folks or of myself, or ill-doing or loss of lack of money, or depressions or exaltations, battles, the horrors of fratricidal war, the fever of doubtful news, the fitful events. These come to me days and nights and go for me again, but they are not the me myself. Apart from the pulling and hauling stands, what I am stands amused, complacent, compassionate, Teen, idle, unitary, looks down, is erect, or bends an arm on an impalpable certain rest, looking with side-curved head, curious what will come next, both in and out of the game and watching and wondering at it, backward I see in my own days where I sweated through fog with linguists and contenders. I have no mockings or arguments. I witness and wait. All right. You can get this yeah. on screen, too. I take these to be the trippers and askers, right? All of these uh, negative or overly seemingly positive things, which could trip you up, right? Or could 
cause you to doubt this uh this all powerful feeling of being good right <laughs> and it's interesting because i think it it sort of answers those questions we were asking that came out of stanza th uh, or part 3 right where where is the uh where is the opposite there because this, this all sounds good right so here we get it we get some a little bit stronger in some cases, rather rather strong, right? Battles, the horrors of fratricidal war, um, ill-doing or loss or lack of money, depressions or exaltation. So, right, these are things that are legitimately bad and possibly you might say evil, I guess, or uh, depending on how you have your, your metaphysical stance towards them. But anyway, he says, right, they come and, they come and go. They are not me. There, there's the capital M, me. Uh, to go with the eye that's been such a, a refrain so far. And um, so, yeah, what is the me then? What is that which remains constant in this ship of Theseus? These good things happen, these bad things happen, these, these sort of manifestations uh, or, or alterations of being happen, yeah. differing affective states or differing situations which produce differing affective states. But what is the me exactly? It seems to be transcendent, right? It's, it is a part, it stands, it's what I am, right? Amused, complacent, compassionating, idle, unitary, looks down, right? So it is, yeah, I, I guess I would say that, that transcendent, um, it somehow uh, defies the, uh, the problem of, of opposites, right? It's both in and out of the game and watching and wondering at it, right? So it's somehow that thing which observes, right? That yes. low side of these, you know? I witness and wait, no mockings or arguments. It seems to be, like you said, this seems to be awareness, chorus, mm -hmm. uh, the eye on the back of the dollar bill, that which takes in the information of the situation in order to transform it into known territory by means of the use of the logos mm -hmm. or the rational intellect the consciousness um i don't know that it's entirely rational well you know i guess that's it certainly includes the rational well yeah. i don't think i don't think this is saying that i think this is the awareness that takes in the information that then the rational intellect needs to apply itself to the logos then needs to apply itself to in order to transform that that uh data into like known information mm -hmm. um, to process that information. Um, I think this is that, I think this is the I, the awareness. Mm -hmm. I think this is the awareness that all conscious beings have that makes it so that what is the same in all of us is that which joins us together, which is the fact that we are aware and can, and can experience these shared motivational and affective states with each other and know that it's ultimately not when I feel good or bad, that is me who I am. But the, the thing observing that, which is yeah. uh, who I am. Um, but there does seem to be sort of a, a tension there, right? The observation of what is happening transcendently while also experiencing the now. Um, but I, I suppose what's not there is the quibbling, articulating aspect. He says, I have no mockings or arguments. I witness and mm -hmm. wait. And so both of these aspects of being the observational aspect, as well as the sort of being in the now, the Dasein, being there aspect, as the Heideggerians would say, seem to be um, 
They seem to be at play. Which, which is more me or something like that? Or is the combination of the two me, which I think is more likely? Yeah, it's, it seems to be a matter of, of self-definition in some way and, and aligning your own definition of yourself with that, that greater self, which right, stands and looks upon things and is not you know, moved, but yet compassionates with them. Um, it's, it's incredibly uh, a grandiose sort of notion, but, but yet it, it continually is put in, in contact with all these simple everyday things uh, and, and is distinguished from other sorts of grandiose systems, right? Like linguists, uh, contenders, right? Arguers, right? So. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's very, it's dantistic in the purgatorial aspect uh, in that yeah. in purgatory, Dante, you move forward and suffer during the day, but you reflect at night. So life has these sort of yin-yang or light-dark or movement and rest uh, systole and diastole aspects. And this, this last line in the third, or I guess it's technically the second stanza in four, is both in and out of the game and watching and wondering at it. Um, so it's, it's playing the game, but it's also out of the game analyzing it, just like this sort of purgatorial motion in life. It's as if, hmm, it's as if you have to be aware of the situation during the day, which is, I don't know, your conscious interactions or conscious actions, but also of, of um, you have to also reflect on them and the game at night because your actions in the next day will affect and change the game, and you should perhaps, and this is just an addition, you should perhaps, if that's true, um, mold the game towards its ultimate conclusion or towards its best possible form. Perhaps that's a life as well, just to keep with the existential theme here, the being in the now aspect. Yeah. That when you're not in the now, it's because you're planning on how to shape the now. <laughs> yeah, I think in terms of the, right, what he actually does, of course, is, is, is produce this song, right? This, mm. this great song. And I, and I take that to be the, the shaping that you're talking about. Um, but we will have to we'll have to get a bit further on, I think, before we see more reflection on that actual process. Fair point. Yeah. I'm I'm very much uh, uh, an oar still in the harbor with much which mu with much water to cover here. Right. So you know, perhaps this will be end up being an embarrassing episode uh, no, really. later really. on in, in my song and myself. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we got through four of the what fifty two parts. That's not so bad. Yeah, that's a month. That's a month. That's not bad. January. Right on. All right. We're through January. Excellent. All right. Well, this has been Night School 4. Thank you very much for your time, Mr. West Chance, on a Friday evening. And uh, see, you see you next time. Yeah. Always a pleasure. Thanks again.